Hey everybody and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Jason Lipschutz and I am an associate editor and the Pop Shop blog editor of Billboard.com. Based in New York, on the other line, in Los Angeles, is the best historical album to my best new artist, Keith Caulfield. How's it going, Keith? What's up? <laughs> I don't know what that was. What's up? Was that like an old Budweiser? Remember the the Budweiser like what's maybe it was. commercials? Maybe, maybe it was actually sort of an inadvertent like reference to an old Budweiser commercial. Do you think our like do you think our listeners are old enough to like understand no. that or is it okay actually, great? <laughs> I would like to think our listeners uh, cut range, a wide swath range across, from yeah. so many ages. I agree with you, man. The young well, and the old and 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 across all demographics. I think there's a little something for everyone here on the Pop Shop Podcast. I couldn't agree more, man. And, I, you know, people of all ages love the Grammys, and they love the Grammy nominations, which came out on Friday. So that is going to be the focus of this week's Pop Shop Podcast. We'll also be talking about Megan Trainer. She has another top ten hit now. We're going to check in on the Hot 100, some new stuff going on there. And some big albums are coming out this week and next week uh, by J. Cole, Charlie XCX, Nicki Minaj. We'll talk about that as well. But, Keith... As I said before, let's let's get it started, man. Let's just jump right into it. The Grammy nominations, which were released on Friday, December 5th. And what was your takeaway, Keith, from all of the, the major categories, everything you saw? We, we've had a couple days to digest them now. What, what was your major takeaway this year? Um, well, I think my sort of biggest surprise was that Let It Go, Idina Menzel's uh, song from Frozen, which was a top 10 hit on the Billboard Hot 100, was not nominated for record or for song of the year. Uh, To me, that seems kind of surprising. Um, I thought for sure it would have been nominated for one of the two, maybe song of the year, just because it was nominated for, you know, best original song at the Oscars. It won that, you know, maybe, but uh, it ultimately did get a nomination in, I think, best song written for visual media, something like that, kind of like you know, best song written for a movie sort of category. Yeah. Um, but that, that was my biggest surprise. I was kind of surprised that Beck was nominated for Album of the Year. That was the big surprise for me. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? You know, looking through these nominations, and it, it's funny because on Friday afternoon, everything was announced except for Album of the Year, Friday afternoon. And I and I wrote for Billboard.com the, the 10 biggest snubs and surprises of this year's uh, crop of nominees. And I felt myself really kind of, you know you know splitting hairs almost because there there wasn't that much that was really sh- snubbed to me. I mean the big one that we had was that Drunken Love by Beyoncé and Jay-Z was nominated for record of the year and song of the year. I I thought that yeah. was I thought those were locks. I I, I just thought really? they were in. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean just because everybody loves everyone loves that song. But it, well. you know, but the thing is the, the so I wrote that and then Beyoncé gets an album of the year nomination. She has a bunch of other nominations, so it's like, well, it's it's hard to really call her like snubbed. And in the same way that you know, I wrote about you know Katy Perry and Ariana Grande, they didn't really get no- nominated for Record of the Year, Song of the Year, but they still had a couple nominations. As you said, Let It Go might be the biggest one that got snubbed because it. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it seemed like at least Song of the Year for the songwriting award. It definitely seemed like a strong contender, but. Like you said, Frozen got nominated for Best Soundtrack. Let It Go also got a nomination. So it's it, I, it's hard for me to find anything that was really passed over completely. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I think sort of um, I'm uh, you know a big glaring omission for me 
um, which I, I see this is on our list, so I probably shouldn't talk about it yet, should I? <laughs> like, Go ahead. Like, we can skip around. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought Five Seconds of Summer might have been nominated for Best New Artist. Yeah. Um, I mean, they had two uh, top two albums this year. Um, they're you know a big breakout star, I think. But then again, you know the 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 Grammy folks probably don't view them necessarily as a sort of critical act. And exactly. But then at the same time, like I mean. One Direction has never been nominated for a Grammy, and they still didn't get a Grammy nomination this year. So, I don't know. Maybe they have something against, you know, uh, catchy pop rock songs by, you know, uh, young dudes. I don't know. (laughs) No, it is. I totally agree with you. It is sort of strange how there seems to be, in Grammy world, a fine line between pop music and critically approved pop music. You know what I mean? It's like... I remember last year being surprised that something like Wrecking Ball, which is a great song, didn't get any nominations because, you know, Miley Cyrus, I, I, I think, is also grouped in that One Direction category of just not being, like, critically okay pop music. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just strange that there's a bias. As, as you noted in, you know, when we were emailing about this this morning, Backstreet Boys got nominated for Album of the Year. The Millennium was nominated for Album of the Year. NSYNC had, I believe, a Record of the Year nomination. Someone like Hanson, who, like Five Seconds of Summer, a uh, quote-unquote boy band, but more, you know, a, a pop rock group that plays instruments featuring under 21 guys, they were nominated for Best New Artist. So it's I agree with you that it's a little strange that One Direction and Five Seconds of Summer just aren't thought of that way and and by the way i think it'd be i think it'd be different if their music like even though they were insanely popular their music just was kind of lackluster but i know a lot of critics who have kind of come around on one direction and a lot more that have really championed five seconds of summer as a a solid pop punk band it it is a little strange to me yeah yeah i mean the yeah (laughs) there's a lot to say about the grammys i could keep talking about about this, so uh, we got a lot to cover, and I don't. We wanna, do have a lot to cover. I don't want to hijack it. I mean, so let, let's talk about a, a couple things. One of the biggest surprises to me, going over from snubs to surprises, Brandy Clark being nominated for Best New Artist and Best Country Album. Now, Brandy Clark, in, in the Best New Artist category, nine out of the last ten years, there's been a country artist nominated for Best New Artist. It's, it's so just, you can almost guarantee they're going to find another one to put into that category. Exactly. And it's and yeah. it's funny because I've, I've written a ton of Grammy nomination predictions pieces over the past two months, ever since the eligibility period and ended. Brandy Clark never came up once, right? Brandy Clark never came up because mm. I, I kept looking at the Best New Artist category and I was like, it because I, I got the, the, the other four right. I said Iggy, Sam Smith, Haim, and Bastille. And I was looking for that fifth one and I just... I couldn't think. I knew that there was a good chance a country artist would sneak in there. I couldn't figure out who. I thought of like Cole Swindell. You, you think of someone like who's not a new artist like Brantley Gilbert, but hasn't been nominated well, look, before, would be eligible. Brandy Clark is completely okay for not being on your radar because Brandy's album Twelve Stories, which is I think is the album that's nominated for Best yeah. Country Album, peaked at number twenty three on the Top Country Albums chart. Spent a whopping seven weeks on the chart. It back in two thousand. 13 um never charted a single on the hot country songs chart so it's okay that you're not really having brandy on your radar because no one had brandy on their radar in terms of sort of a mass popularity type artist so this is one of those nominations that i think we can fairly credit to 
the what I call the special sauce committees. Um, <laughs> that's that's a cute way of saying a review committee, um, because and this is going to come up again when we talk about this. Um, the the way the voting process works is that you you being the record label or representative for set artists will submit songs, albums, artists for consideration to be placed onto the big list, like the big ballot. Like these are all the albums that we have for top country album, and there could be hundreds of them. Who knows? And then um, everyone in the voting academy, everyone in the academy um, votes for their top five, and then they send those back. And then after that, for certain categories, there is a nominations review committee of voting members that go through certain categories and have a second round of voting, but just among that sort of exclusive group of people. And one of those categories is the country categories, the country field, So, as well as new artists, by the way. So what I'm thinking is that Brandy was probably voted on by that sort of special yeah. secondary group um, you know, by the country folks and then said, hey, you know, we should really consider her for best new artist as well. Um, I can explain this in slightly more detail if you want, but basically it comes down to that where certain categories are sort of screened by a secondary group of people. And that's why you have some of these weird anomalies that happen in certain categories. Yeah. I mean, two things, I, two things I want to say about Brandy Clark before we move on. This is a huge, huge, huge moment for her because you, I, I mean, we can't, you you mentioned it, it debuted at number twenty three on the country albums chart. Well, peaked, Just on the peaked at, I'm sorry, peaked at number twenty three on the country albums chart. She opened for Jennifer Nettles over the summer, so so she's she's gotten a little bit of exposure. But this is a, this is a massive thing for her for someone not only for the best new artist, but also to be up for best country album with people like Eric Church, Miranda Lambert. I mean, people are going to listen to this album, Twelve Stories, which came out in October twenty thirteen. Now. And the second thing I want to say is that a lot of people don't know that Brandy Clark is an openly gay country performer, and that's a huge thing that she's nominated for Best New Artist. I mean, there are hey, more... we've got two gay folks in the Best New Artist category, don't we? With exactly. uh, Sam two... Smith and Brandy Clark. Exactly. I mean, I know that over the past couple of weeks, the past couple of months, there have been more artists coming out in the country community, which is which is great, which is super important and I, I think that it can't be downplayed that Brandy Clark is up for best new artist as an openly gay country performer. I, I, think I did that's... not even know that and I'm the gay so <laughs> I feel kind of dumb not knowing that. <laughs> you're, the, you're the gay of the pop shop podcast. I am the gay. <laughs> He's well, the there gay you go, to man. my not. It's well, the that's pop the thing. I, I think that's gotten glossed over a little bit and I, I think that's immensely important. So it's it's great. I mean, it, I don't know if you listen to Twelve Stories. I've spent some time with it since the nominations came out. It's it's really solid. And if you like Casey Musgraves, that it, it kind of has that some some of that uh, sharp wit, some dark humor. Check that out. It is nominated for Country Album of the Year at the Grammys. So a couple more things, Keith. So let me tell you something that really made me mad. It just downright pissed me off. Yo, the producer man. of the year category, non-classical, does not have DJ Mustard in it. Now, oh, come on. that's crazy to me. That is no. just insane to me. He, how, many, how many pieces have we read about DJ Mustard this year that have you know, described him as ubiquitous, ha- defining hip-hop in 2014, and yet he doesn't get a producer of the year nomination? It's, it's nuts to me. Now, again, 
this is one of those special sauce categories. Um, producer of the year is initially voted on by all Academy voting members. So there's a big list and all the producers are on it. And then the, the top vote getters are then sent on to a craft committee of voting members. So, so for specific categories, there is, it's for composing, arranging, producer of the year, and the engineering categories. There are craft committees of, of voting members that sort of sift through uh, the, the, the nomination. So specifically for a producer, everyone votes, and then those votes are sent on to a craft committee. And that committee then goes through and has a second round of voting. And no one really knows exactly how this voting process works. It's very secretive. It's very, very secretive. Um, no one knows who's on these committees. Um, no one knows who's in the exclusive club. And so they determine who's the ultimate um, final nominations in that category. And I would suspect that they, you know, either DJ Mustard probably just didn't get like name recognition on the initial ballot because, you know, we're dealing with, you know, potentially a lot of older Academy voters who may not recognize the name DJ Mustard, unfortunately. Um, but you'd think that would have been caught by the screening committee who, who should have been like, whoa, wait a second, DJ Mustard had a huge freaking year. We should put him in there. But then again, you know, it's really up to their whims. And they look at the voting. They want to make sure it's a balanced, you know, uh, group of nominees. Um, you know, and, and maybe they thought, let's see what DJ Mustard does in his second year. I mean, this, he had a huge year, but was this a fluke? You know, was this just like a hot, you know, did he have a hot year? Is he actually going to be able to sustain this? Um, I don't I don't know, man. I mean, it's a producer of the year. I would say he is the producer of the year. I mean, maybe Max Martin, who is nominated, but DJ Mustard's got to be right up there. Do you, you think Max Martin takes this? Um, okay, I wrote about this yesterday to you, considering that Max Martin, okay, Max Martin, who has been sort of the architect of pop music as we know it since, oh, I don't know, 1997, um, and has had, like, you know, like, what, 18 number ones or something ridiculous? Yeah. I don't know what we're up to. Shake It Off by Taylor Swift and, and you know, Britney and Backstreet and just tons and tons of stuff that he's co-produced or co-written or solely produced and solely written. He's never won a single Grammy award. Pretty insane. Yeah. Period. And he's never even been nominated for producer of the year until this year. So I would like to think that he will win producer of the year. Um, if he doesn't, that's sort of super unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's it's crazy that you think of Max Martin, who's who's basically a musical genius when it comes to pop music and prop production. Never having won a Grammy, that is, uh, it's troubling. It's troubling to yeah. say the least. I made sure, and when I searched for this last night, I'm like, let me search for Max Martin. Let me search for his real name, like Carl Sandberg. I couldn't, yeah. couldn't find anything. I'm like, all right, crazy enough, Max Martin has never actually won a Grammy. I was thinking about how he changed his name from Carl Sandberg to Max Martin. Probably a, probably a good call. Like Max Martin is is like a an awesome pop producer name like who got a good alliteration max off your tongue yeah max martin max he's got maximum martin you have maximum martin production so keith so jason let's talk about some of the live versions that were nominated for let's talk about the liner notes categories yeah let's talk about those liner notes best you know we used to work with someone that's been nominated for uh, a liner notes grammy award did we? We'll, we'll talk. About, let's talk about that offline. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> as riveting as the liner note category can be. Um, so the live versions of John Legend's "All of Me" 
which I thought was going to get the Song of the Year nomination, but it's, it's still got another nomination. And the live version of Happy were by Pharrell Williams were nominated. So what's going on here? Is this just the eligibility because they, they were too old and they resubmitted them as live versions? Yeah, so you remember remember way back, like months ago, when you wrote that story about you know who to look out for for the who's going to be nominated for the Grammys, and and you consulted with me, and we both thought that "All of Me" by John Legend and yeah. "Happy" by Pharrell were contenders clearly for record and for song of the year. Yep. Two two of the biggest hits of the year. Happy, in fact, is the number one Hot 100 song of 2014 on our year-end charts. Feel free to check out those charts online yep. right now at billboard.com. We thought for sure, but then it was pointed out that neither of those songs in their familiar hit single versions were eligible for this year's Grammy Awards because they had both been submitted for consideration for last year's Grammy Awards. So basically what happened was, I think what happened was, Happy was probably submitted a year ago uh, back when it was just a song from a movie, from Despicable Me 2, and they probably submitted it for best song from visual media, maybe thinking that it might eke out, you know, maybe a best pop vocal performance nomination. And John Legend had the same thing. His song had such a sort of a long tail to it that it didn't really become a huge hit until after he performed it on the Grammy Awards this year. Because he performed All of Me on the Grammy Awards this year, didn't he? Yeah. Right. So no one knew what that song well, was. No, until, wait, did he no? perform it on the Grammy Awards? I thought it was the Billboard. He definitely did it on the Billboard Music Awards. I'm not sure he did it on the Grammy Awards. Maybe. Well, anyway, the thing is, the song became a huge hit this year, even though they submitted it last year exactly. for consideration. The problem was both songs were eligible for the previous year, and so that therefore rendered them ineligible for the Grammys that were just announced this past week. So the way to work around that is to submit a live version of the song. And then I think the theory is voters will vote for the song because they recognize the name and they want to support the song, even yeah. though it's a live version. Um, so both of these songs, both of the live versions, were nominated for Best Pop uh, Vocal Performance, or Best Solo Pop, whatever the name of the category is. Um, it's Best Pop Solo Performance. They've changed the category name a few times over the past few years, so sorry. Um, yeah. It's up against Sia Chandelier, Sam Smith's Stay With Me, the Dark Child version, and Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. Now, here's what I want to say about this. Both of these songs were obviously contenders for Record of the Year as well in their live versions. And I wonder, had uh, had the secondary screening committee that is involved with Record of the Year, had they not actually done anything to special sauce the category, I wonder had Pharrell and John Legend yeah. had enough to just be among the top five. Can um, I? Because, because and this is the last thing, because pop solo performance is not screened by a secondary committee. It is just voted on by the initial, the entire Academy votes, and that's it. So these are just the top five vote-getters, period. This doesn't go through a secondary committee. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very sneaky. Can I just it's, say yeah. that this is a stupid rule. It is a stupid rule because if you got to have it one way or the other to me. you got to have it that it, you submitted, John Legend submitted all of me last year, so now you can't. You just can't submit that. You can't submit a live version. It's crazy. Like because yeah, everyone's just gonna think of all of me, not the all of me live version. Or you change it, and what what I would do is that you just change it and to a logical way of like, all right, even though you submitted this last year, you can resubmit it again because, you know, 
it made more of an impact this year and it could get nominated this year. It just it that's crazy to me that like once you submit it, then it's done. But you could submit a live version, so it counts. Like it's it's a stupid it's, rule. It's it's it's, it's, it's super dumb. confusing. It's it's it's. I mean, people think that Billboard has some crazy chart rules. The Grammys <laughs> have some crazy rules. I mean, but every every year something like this happens. You know, be it when Whitney Houston was denied a Best New Artist nomination back in the 80s when she had her breakthrough year because she had been on, she was the guest vocalist on a Teddy Pendergrass yeah. song the year before. Exactly. Or, you know, just weird things happen each year. And so they create all these different rules and bylaws and regulations. I mean, you know, it just, it doesn't make any sense that the biggest song of 2014 is not even allowed to be nominated for Record of the Year. Another one is that you, you think of Haim, whose debut album Days, of, Days Are Gone was submitted September 30th, 2013. So last year, didn't get nominated, but now they're nominated for Best New Artist, even though their album didn't come out technically until, you know, before this year's cutoff. It, it's crazy. Like, some, some of these things are like, just just do what makes sense. Like all of me and Happy should be eligible this year. That the 2014 is when they had their strongest impact. Is it, I don't know. It, I feel there, like they there, just make it too complicated. There there should there should be some sort of just simple rule saying, okay, look, we will deny you all the smaller categories. You know, you know, if you were eligible yeah. last year, but blah 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 weren't la la la. But we're going to make you eligible for Record of the Year because you should be nominated for Record of the go. Year. When, it's, when something's so ubiquitous, just make it eligible. You know, maybe that's a way of sort of, you know, making it work. I don't know. I don't know. We're we're not Grammy voting members. We don't vote in the Grammys. We're not members, so we don't know. Maybe it's very very difficult. We just solved that. We we just solved. <laughs> we just the solved the problem. I like that idea. Give done us a call. And done. So Keith, we got to move on. Uh, the last thing on the Grammys I want to say is Megan Trainer. All about that bass, record of the year, song of the year nominations. Now, I didn't see this coming at all. Were, were you surprised by this? I mean, I, I guess I was a little bit just because. Are you eating popcorn? Um, no, I, no, I was. I was surprised. I, I are heard you something. eating popcorn? No, I'm not eating popcorn. But I'm sure the people at home are wondering why are they talking about popcorn now. Um, I was a little surprised by Megan Trainor being nominated for record and song. I mean, I think the song of the year thing was a little bit more surprising, but when you think about it, because of the meaning of the song, um, it's sort of a message song, and that's often what the song of the year category reflects, because again, the song of the year category recognizes the songwriting and the lyrics and sort of the meaning of the song generally. So sometimes you get those sort of sad and weepy country songs that get put into this category, <laughs> um, like Live Like we, Like You Were Dying, um, but they're not nominated for Record of the Year um, yeah. because Record of the Year is more of a sort of production uh, performance category. So that's why sometimes there's differences because, you know, this year, for example, you have Hosier with Take Me to Church is nominated for Song of the Year, but it's not nominated for Record of the Year. Um, so, yeah, but for Megan Trainer, I'm a little surprised, not that surprised, but a little surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a huge thing for her because, you know, you, you think about what what I just said about like pop versus critically approved pop, and I was wondering if all about that bass was going to for, fall into the former category where it just wouldn't be kind of considered. Um, in the same way that I, I think uh, a couple years ago we were all expecting Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe. I think they got a Song of the Year nomination didn't win but we we were kind of expecting that to get a, a bunch of grammy nominations and and she didn't get it um it, it's it's interesting how some of these pop songs take off 
uh, in in terms of Grammy voters, and and some don't. But obviously, all about that bass nominated for nominated for two of the biggest song categories. The sorry, the two biggest song categories. I I spoke with Megan on Friday afternoon, uh, mm. a couple hours before after she got these nominations. She was completely overwhelmed. Megan Trainer, we've had her on the podcast. She's a friend of the podcast. She's totally lovely in in real life and. Uh, yeah, on the phone, it, it was funny. I, I asked her who she wanted to meet on uh, on Grammy night, and she said Taylor Swift. And I was like, wait a minute, you've you've never met Taylor Swift? You've been covering Shake It Off like, for months. They were at the AMAs together, by the and way. that's the thing. Oh. So I I asked her. I was like, you never met her? And she's like, well, she's at the she was at the AMAs. I saw her at the AMAs, but I got I was too scared to go over. She looked really busy. I was like, oh, Megan Trainer, like. Got a hey, you're you have a number one hit. You you have record of the year, song of the year, Grammy nominations. You could beat Taylor Swift, who were his nominated for Shake It Off in both of those categories. So um, that that was pretty cool. Meanwhile, Keith, she has another top ten hit right now. Lips are moving, moves up to number eight this week on the Hot 100, becoming her second top ten hit. And I mean, I guess this means that she is officially not a one hit wonder. Megan Megan Trainer kind of seems like she's here to stay, right? Well, she has two songs that are hits, so she's here to stay right now. Um, what what pushed it up uh, into the top ten? Is it is it doing well at radio? Um, yeah, I mean, it's up across the board. It's up across the board in sales, airplay, and streams. It's not just one particular metric. It's just a steady build. Um, you know, the video came out a couple weeks ago, and that kind of helped. But you know, it's just it's building in airplay and streams and sales. It's just a old-fashioned success story of a song that's actually taken off across across the board. I am surprised though that you know. You know, we that this artist has been able to follow up, you know, such a huge song with another top ten hit. It's often hard, as we've seen in recent years, for um, artists to have a, a follow up single. Yeah. Um, you know, and or you know, you'll have one huge hit, and then you won't even make the top ten. Um, like Katy Perry will have a huge number one. And then not make the top ten with her next single because we're very fickle, you know, these days. Uh, and it's the, the charts just behave very differently because of how we consume music. So it's really interesting that she's been able to have two top ten hits in a row. Uh, right it really, it really does seem like that second hit is such a linchpin in determining a career. It, it seems to me, and and sometimes it's not because you know you have someone with a a second top 10 hit and and from there it just just doesn't happen but it always seems like i mean you think of someone like Iggy Azalea if fancy was the only thing that she'd done this year i'm not sure that we're talking about her in the same way of of being you know she's also nominated for best new artist and a huge star of the year she's you know she's going on an arena tour next year and I'm not sure that ha- that happens if it's just fancy, but it, it not it wasn't just fancy. It was problem was a number two hit. You have Black Widow in the top five. You have um, Beg for it. it in the top forty. Yeah, I mean, so you have, but I think you know that that second single, that follow up single, Black Widow, doing so so well. She she had another song to perform on award shows, and, and you just think of that and being able to establish yourself as more than just one song is so, so crucial. I, I mean, on, on the other side, you think of someone like Magic. Well, Magic had a, mm. a ton of success with Rude this summer. It was and number zero one Grammy hit. nominations. Yeah, no yeah. Grammy nominations. Which is perfectly, uh, completely expected, considering they really only had one hit song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They be, Because, you know, maybe we're talking about them a little bit differently if their follow-up single really took off, but it didn't, so... 
anyway, Megan Trainer now into uh, the former category of, of becoming a, a career artist, I think. Her debut album title is coming out in January. Congrats to her. And uh, yeah, man, let's so let's we we're running out of time already. We already talk, geez. I know, I know, man. We let's I'm, I'm uh, looking just, at I'm looking at the timer, I'm like, oh you know, you're not lying. <laughs> just a couple notes on the hot one hundred blank space by Taylor Swift. Still number one, still going strong. Uh, big debut this week from Ed Sheeran, his cover of Make It Rain, which he's been performing a lot in concert, but he actually released a studio version of it of uh, it is a cover of Foy Vance's song, Make It Rain, who is not Vance Joy, which is crazy to me, man. Foy like, Vance? Foy Vance, Vance Joy, two oh, different artists. I say, I say that with love to Vance Joy, who was on the, the Pop Shop podcast a couple weeks ago. But anyway, uh, Make It Rain, his cover debuts at number 34, a little bit lower. Mariah Carey is back on the Hot 100 with a, a Christmas song. Have you heard this one, All I Want for Christmas is You? Have you heard that one, Keith? I, I don't know. How's it go, Jason? Well, she doesn't want a lot for Christmas. But anyway, I, I'm I'm sure you can listen. And There's and just one thing I need. She's There's one thing she needs. She doesn't care about the presents underneath. All right. Wow, that was that was awesome. We should start a new video series where it's Keith Mangles the classics. Oh, my God. You know, it could God. be a companion piece to the, you know, awkward Jason dancing video series that just Oh, man. Week. I was literally going to plug it in like two minutes. Wow. <laughs> well, there you go. There's a chance. You can plug it now. So, actually, I want to plug two things because I, I meant to plug the year-end charts at the top of the show. And we're, we're departing from the Hot 100 for a second. But uh, the year-end charts, you guys always do a ton, a ton of work on the year-end charts, and they are up now on Billboard.com. You can check out the the year-end Hot 100. You can check out all the year-end charts right now on Billboard.com. Congrats to you, Keith, and the rest of the charts team. We are going to be talking about – we've got a couple of Twitter questions saying, when are you guys talking about the year-end stuff? I think we're going to talk about that in two weeks maybe, right before Christmas, because next week on the show we have something special that I'll get to in a second. But I think in two weeks we'll be talking about the year-end charts – looking back at 2014. We so we have a couple weeks for that. And yes, going back to what you just mentioned, So You Know You Can't Dance is a new web series on billboard.com starring me, starring myself as the awkward white guy that I am and having art we we've had artists come in and teach me their dance moves. It's as easy as that. We've had this idea since 2010 actually. I don't know if you knew that, Keith, but we've had this idea for 4 years, finally put it together. The first two episodes are up right now. Tanache teaching me the whip is the latest episode before that. Kaiza teaching me the hideaway routine. It's a lot of fun. We'll link to it in the podcast post. But um, it's yeah, check it out. It's it's very fun. Something enjoyable we're doing at Billboard.com. So going back to the Hot 100, Keith, that was we just covered a lot of ground in, in a minute or so. All I Want for Christmas is You re-enters the Hot 100. Mariah Carey's holiday classic, of course, number 50. Does this happen every year, Keith? Um, well, I'll tell you. Um, well, it's, it's happened since 2012 when we um, reconfigured our rules regarding um, uh, re-entries of old songs. So um, All I Want for Christmas is You um, actually didn't first chart until, believe it or not, uh, early 2000. <laughs> wow. um, even though the song came out in the early 90s. Um, 
because it was a technicality because it wasn't ever released as a commercial single to actually purchase back in the early 90s when it first came out. It was an airplay only track. It was just for radio. So it never actually charted on the Billboard Hot 100 until um, January of 2000 when it could chart then as an airplay only hit. It didn't actually need to be on sale because we had changed our rules at some point because, you know, like the Grammys, we have a lot of rules. Did I mention those earlier? Um, So since then, um, in the past few years, the song has come back every year um, and it has so far peaked, believe it or not, at number 21 uh, back in 2013. So can it go higher this year? Can Mariah surpass her own number 21 peak? Stay tuned. We shall see. So, Keith, the last thing, actually, there's two things I want to talk about before we wrap up. Um, the first thing is is we're going to be talking about some new albums coming up probably next week. Uh, J. Cole has a new album out. Charlie XCX has a new album next week. And Nicki Minaj, I believe, is next week as well, The Pink Print. And, you know, just really quickly, Keith, it, it, this is all out before the end of the year. And usually December, you don't see that many big name albums coming out. I, I mean, is this is this uncommon? Because you, you, I just remember in years past, and I'm sure a lot of people think of like Black Friday time as really the the Super Bowl of, of album releases. You 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 want to get everyone in there who's who's shopping for albums. You want to get it in in end of November. You want your album out on the shelves. At retail, and you see some of these albums coming out in mid-December, late December. Is this uncommon? Well, I mean, it's it's not completely uncommon, but I mean, usually there's a handful of significant releases that come out in December. You know, last year we had, um, well, Beyonce's surprise album. Yeah, I guess uh, we it's had a special case. Yeah, we had R. Kelly's uh, Black Panties, uh, the classic Black Panties, of course. <laughs> the classic. Um, uh, Childish, Childish Gambino's Because the Internet came out. That debuted in the top 10. Um, so I think Britney Spears' album came out maybe in the first week of December, yeah, December as well. Um, and then the year before that, we had, uh, as I scroll backwards in time and look at the charts, we had um, um, T.I. came out um, yeah. at, the, at the very end of December back in 2012. Um Bruno Mars's album, I think, came out in the first week or two yeah. of December. Orthodox jukebox, uh, the games, Jesus piece. Basically, in the old days, old days, like the twenty years ago. Um, generally speaking, December was just sort of off limits, um, not for any sort of rule or reason. It was just because Thanksgiving was kind of the end of the run for big stuff because the industry kind of effectively shut down for most of December because. It just we didn't have digital, we didn't have internet, we didn't have all this stuff. You had a lot of physical retail to push something out. So most of the big stuff would all be out by Thanksgiving or the week after Thanksgiving. And then um, eventually, uh, before the internet, <laughs> before digital, um, some hip hop and and like rap releases and metal releases started to come out in December to sort of capitalize on you know this sort of wide open period where. You'd have like kids having gift cards after Christmas, or kids wanting to exchange albums that they got from their parents that they didn't want. Like, oh, thanks, mom, for this Backstreet Boys album back in 1998. I actually wanted the new Master P album. Um, so, you know, you'd have a lot of hip hop artists putting out stuff in December. Um, now it's just kind of either stuff that's running late, stuff that's been pushed back, or stuff that's been always targeted for December. So, Nikki has been, you know, kind of running behind. Uh, Charlie was pushed back. Um, 
And then J. Cole's album, I don't know if that was actually announced until like a week or two ago. Yeah. So I don't know it's if true. I actually answered your question. But you no, know, you did. I mean, I, yeah. I guess that you're right that it, it has changed a little bit. But over the past few years, you you see some of these albums coming out. And, and yeah, like you said, J- some of them are, are special cases where Charlie XCX and Nicki's album both got pushed back from October and November release dates. And then J. Cole kind of pushed this album out without a lot of warning. So, yeah, we'll, hey. we'll, we'll talk about that. J. Cole's headed for a pretty big debut. Yeah, he, he, he'll, he'll probably be number one next week with, okay. with over 300,000, so, so say, huge, industry yeah. forecasters. Now, remember, the Billboard 200 is not just pure sales anymore, so that number is actually referring to just its pure sales number, not its overall overall album consumption unit number, Ooh. which will actually be reflected on the Billboard 200 next week. Very cool. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that next it. week because we don't really have that much time this week. One last note, one, one last note. So, a, a story broke on Tuesday uh, about Avril Lavigne um, suffering from an undisclosed health issue. Uh, I've been reporting on this the past 24 hours or so, and there's not really much to say, just hoping that, uh, that ho- hoping Avril's okay, hoping um, she gets well soon. Um, I've, I've spoken to a rep for her, and she, you know, like I said, I don't know what it is. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say what it is, or I have no idea what it is. But um, it sounds like it might be a serious thing, and she's kind of hinted that, about that on Twitter. And yeah, just just really just wanted to say get well soon. She's uh, I've been a fan of Avril for a while. We talked about last year her fifth studio album, which was self-titled, and how much we liked that. And um, we also talked about the terrible video for Hello Kitty a lot. But you know, we we kind of bashed that because the rest of the album's so good, and I I, I still listen to that album. A fair amount. So again, get well soon, Avril Lavigne. Hope everything's okay over there. So Keith, are you ready, man? Uh, sure. For what? Chart, it's time for your charts oh, out of the week. Right. Wow, that sounded note. like you got sucked up in a tornado. Yeah. Um, this week in 1992, on December 12th, 1992. The Whitney Houston-led The Bodyguard soundtrack jumped to number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart. Four weeks later, it would become the first album to sell a million copies in a week in the SoundScan era when it shifted 1.06 million copies. Um, It's still very rare for an album to sell that many copies, so it was a huge, huge deal back then in 1992. Uh, The set would spend a whopping 20 non-consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard 200, finishing its run atop the list the following May. This thing was number one off and on through May of 1993, people. Uh, The album actually spun off five hit singles on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, four of them for Whitney Houston. Uh, I Will Always Love You, of course, the huge ballad, a cover of Dolly Parton's original song. It was number one for 14 weeks. Uh, Whitney also had a cover of Shaka Khan's I'm Every Woman. That peaked at number four. And then there were two uh, new songs, I Have Nothing, which reached number four as well, and Run To You, which hit number 31. She also had um, an airplay hit with Queen of the Night, which I think was also a dance hit, but it was never uh, never charted on the Hot 100. And then a final hit from the album was The Soul System's It's Gonna Be a Lovely Day, uh, hit number 34. That was actually kind of an amalgamation of artists uh, from the people that brought us CNC Music Factory. Uh, one of the people in the group is... Uh, Michelle Visage, who you can see each week on RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, there I you go. I kind of digress. There you go. Um, so anyway, there's your chart stat of the week. 
This week in 1992, Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard soundtrack began a 20-week run at number one on the Billboard 200. Love it, man. Thank you for your Chart Stat of the Week. All right, so that does it for us at the Pop Shop Podcast. So as I hinted earlier, uh, next week we have a little something special. We are going to be talking about the Women in Music event that is taking place uh, in New York on Friday. Taylor Swift is Billboard's Woman of the Year, but we'll also be honoring so many amazing females in terms of Paramore's Haley Williams, Aretha Franklin, Ariana Grande, Charlie XCX, and many more. And I'll be there. We'll, we'll be talking about what goes on there. And um, yeah, Keith, we'll also be talking about some albums from Nikki, Charlie, and J. Cole. And then the week after that, I think, is our year-end spectacular. So we have some good episodes coming up on the Pop Show Podcast. Keith, do you have any parting words? I do, and it's actually a point of clarification. I normally don't talk very much at this point of the show. Uh, Last week, we talked about Jennifer Lawrence and the Hunger Games and how she was one of only 13 people who had won an Academy Award for acting. charts out of the week, yeah. Yeah, it was my charts out of the week. One of only 13 people who'd won an Academy Award for acting, but it also had a Hot 100 hit single. I was actually wrong about that figure. There were a few more others that we missed, including Gwyneth Paltrow and Patty Duke, and I apologize for getting that screwed up, it, it frustrates me so incredibly when I screw up chart facts because oh, that is my job. So I beat myself up over that. But I wanted to explain to people that I I apologize for, for getting that wrong. We were off by a few people. Um, so there you go. Don't say, don't say she's only the 13th because there's a few more. <laughs> hey, that's okay, man. We, we all forgive you. I, I speak for all the Pop Shop Podcast listeners when I say that we forgive you. Thanks. Um <laughs> And with that, is there a good like forgiveness song that we should play here? Um, um, the Soul Systems is going to be a lovely day. I don't know. Uh, uh, Whitney Houston's "I'll Always Love You." Yeah, let's do "I Will Always Love You." Uh, this is this is at Keith from me and the Pop Shop Podcast listeners. Thanks for listening and take care. Yeah.